Um, for, for those of you that may be uh, our first-time guests this morning, my name is Walt. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Renovation, and uh, we actually are starting a brand new series this morning. And uh, the title of the series, as you can see, is Fig No More. All of you understand what that means, right? We got this? We can move? <laughs> Some people are like, no, not at all. Um, well, we're going we're to make that make sense in just a minute. And, uh, and I'll tell you that uh, you were, we were supposed to be launching off with, uh, with our lead pastor this morning, George. But uh, George does not have a voice at the present moment. And um, so, uh, so I'm going to be I'm going to be launching us off, and he's going to going to pick up next week. So, uh, we're going to pray that his voice comes back quickly, so that he can uh, can get back on track with us. But I'm excited to be jumping into this this morning, and I think uh, that that we're going to be setting something up. And and again, our our last series was paradox, and. This is really continuing into this idea of a paradox. We've been talking a lot about the kingdom of God, the already and the not yet kingdom of God. The fact that, that when Jesus came and he died and he rose again, he ushered in the kingdom of God. However, the kingdom of God is still coming because he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to completely bring the kingdom in all of its glory and everything is going to come to fruition. So we've got a paradox here of an already and a not yet kingdom. We can see the glimpses and the foreshadowings of this kingdom even now. We can see it in our worship. We can see it in the healing of the sick. We can see it in people coming to know Jesus. And I mean, those of us, there's, there's some in here that can understand what that meant for those things, those, those blinders to just drop and for us to go, I get it. There's no explanation for that other than God's Holy Spirit opening our eyes and our, and our hearts to see who He really is, and how much He loves us. It's the only explanation for that. So this morning we're going to push into, uh, continuing into Matthew, and we're going to pick up, uh, we're actually, believe it or not, only going to focus on one sentence. Um, I've had the privilege of sitting under Karen Wilson's teaching uh, many, many times, and if as you get to know Karen throughout our, our journey here at Renovation Together, she likes to preach sometimes on one word, you know, just one word that just is just powerful. We're just going to focus on one sentence today, okay? I'm not quite smart enough to make a whole sermon out of one word, but I need a whole sentence. So I need a few words grouped together with a period at the end. Then I'm good. So, so we're going to do that. But here's, here's what I want us to do. We're going to play a huge game together as we, as we start out, Okay. Have any of you ever played the game? It's, it's got a couple different names. It could be called Grapevine. I think some folks call it Telephone. Um, some might call it Pass It On. I don't know exactly, you know, depending on what part of the country or what decade you were born in. Um, and what, let me just say, I just love all the decades that are represented here. What, a, what an amazing thing for us to come together. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, I've gotten to the point, I don't even see ages in here anymore. It's just... 
all these beautiful, amazing people from all these different decades and all these different parts of the country. Um, and it's just, it's just really cool. So depending on what decade you're from, it might be called something different. For our purposes, we'll call it grapevine. I don't know why. I just like that. So that's what we're going to go with. I'm going to give a sentence to someone. And I guess it might as well be John because he's right here on the front row. I'm going to give this sentence to John. And I want it to be passed along all the way over here to the other side of the room to Karen. This is Karen right here. And I want to see what we end up with. Can we try that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't say, can we do it? I said, can we try it? <laughs> so, John, I'm going to have you come on up. If you'll mute my mic, because that would not be fun if everybody heard the sentence. Come on up, John. I wrote the sentence down so I wouldn't mess it up. All right. Are you ready for this? Do you want to hear the original sentence first? No? Oh, the other one goes first? Okay. Karen, share with the group. Like, was that the sentence? I was told something? <laughs> There's not one word in that sentence that's in mine. Not a single word. Here is the sentence. No, God wasn't in the word. But you are a really spiritual group. I'm impressed. All right. Here's the sentence. The violet duck sits with the disheartened. It would be, wouldn't it be very interesting to go back to each interchange and watch it break down? I don't think it took long, but, but to, to see the whole thing Go back down. And I'd, I'd be curious to know how different that is from what you guys said to each other. <laughs> may, may I? <laughs> this ought to be good. What Jacob said to me was, something about violence and God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, the good thing is, I was a little scared about this illustration. But there was no reason to be, <laughs> because my fear was that it was going to go around the room and it was going to be perfect on the other end, and then my illustration would have broken down. You guys played that out beautifully. Um, thank you for that. Um, here, here's the point. What we hear sometimes doesn't get translated well over time, as we can tell. And you can see how a sentence, which... Of course, the sentence I wrote didn't really make any sense either. But you can see how that sentence, just one sentence, in about a five-minute span through a room of, of just under 100 people can break down so quickly. And, and the reason I want us to think about this is because I want you to think about it. If I had written that sentence down and passed that around the room, Eventually, it would have gotten to Karen, and she would have read it to us. And it would have been the exact same that it was when it first started. 
Now, what, what I want us to think about today is I want us to begin to, as we, as we jump into this series, I want you to think about the things about, about God, about Christ, about church, about uh, what it means to be a Christ follower, what you think of when you think of Christianity. I want you to think about those things that have been passed down in your lives that may or may not be something that God actually said. And there's a lot of those things. I don't know how many times, and I, I don't mean to offend anyone, but maybe this is good that I say this so you can know. I don't want to disappoint anybody, but an example of that is the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is not in the Bible. But a lot of people will say that it is. I mean, I've heard it countless times. Well, it says in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. No, it, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, that's really bad advice, <laughs> um, as, as we'll see in just a minute. Um, but I want us to begin to ask the question, what did God say? What did Christ teach? And, and what did Jesus do? Not, and again, I'm a pastor, so I can, I can say this. Not even just, what did the pastor say he said or did? The question is, what did he actually say? What did he actually do? Because I think the problem is that a lot of times in, in our churches and in my life, and maybe in your life, I, I'm, I'm, I'm first in line here, a lot of times what we see that he said and the lives that we're actually living out in, the, in what's called, what, what the Bible calls the bride of Christ, the church, is, is very different. And there's a disconnect. I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine this week who is an atheist. And, and he made the comment that one of the reasons he was an atheist is because he saw the teachings of Jesus and he really liked them. He liked Jesus. But that's not what he saw in his followers. So what I want us to begin to look at is, is not necessarily the traditions that have been passed down in our lives. And I like traditions. I mean, How Great Thou Art is a song full of tradition, rich with tradition and truth and heritage and church history. It's a great song. But I want us to begin to look at, at what Jesus actually is saying. So here's the big question for this morning, and it's, it's in your notes. If you've got it, you can fill in the blanks. The big question, will I peel away my preconceived notions and assumptions and simply listen to what Jesus has to say? Will I, will I peel away all that stuff? Will, will I allow the Holy Spirit... Will I allow the Holy Spirit to speak and I'll pull away all of the sort of the, the junk, sort of the, well, this is how God is or this is what my great-great-granddaddy said about this or that or this is what the preacher said at the such-and-such such church when I became a, a, a Christian and all this sort of stuff. Just peel all of that stuff away. Not because all of it's bad, but I want us to try to boil down, right down, to the purest part of what Jesus has to say to us. Now, we believe at Renovation, 
that this is the Word of God. It is infallible and perfect. It has everything that we need for life. It has everything that we need to know um, about who God is and what He's done for us. It introduces us to a love that none of us can completely wrap our minds around. And so if we're going to completely boil down to who it is that Jesus is and what he said, we've got to look here. This This is the only place. There's been a lot of great books written about this book. There's been a lot of great people who have talked about this book. I hope this morning, and it's my prayer, that I would be faithful in talking about this book. But at the end of the day, what I say is not what matters. It's what the book says about the living God that matters. So let's jump in. We are going to actually begin in chapter 5 verse 21, and we're not going to get far, but we're going to be, this, this entire series is going to be dealing with this entire section of, it's almost to the point where Jesus, Jesus started this whole sermon that we're looking at with uh, what we call the Beatitudes, okay? And that was just attitudes that he wanted us to be, and he wanted us to he wanted the listeners to begin focusing on who they are, not just what they're doing. Because a lot of times, we're going to talk about this in a second, we boil Christianity down to just a list of, of moral behaviors. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 that's not the point. The point is, who are you? And, and how, how is who you are in, in Christ flowing out and, and, and affecting the things you do? But oftentimes we get that backwards and we just try to do. We're just do-do people, right? And that's just a bunch of do-do, right? The point is, who are we? And how does that begin to work out in our lives? That's the question. And so he began to teach about that. And we talked about um, being salt and light and what that really looked like and how uh, you know he's calling us to, to be... Um, to, to point our light on something and how light is, is useless unless it's pointing and shining on something. And Christ is that, is that focus of our light. We talked about that. We talked, Karen talked last week about how Jesus came not to, to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law, but he came to show us exactly the purpose of the law. And we're going to build upon that a little bit this morning. And in our text here, Jesus is going to, to, to begin ever so subtly pointing out that the standard that the religious leaders had put forth over the ages had missed the point and heart of what God intended when he gave the law. When, when we got the law in the Old Testament, and we, you, know, you can think about there were ceremonies that they had to perform, there were, um, there were festivals that they kept, and, and all those things are great. You know, a lot of those things are great for us to still do and still know about and still understand because all of it was foreshadowing Jesus. I mean, all of it was pointing and shedding light on who he was and that he was coming and what he was going to be doing. And then we had the Ten Commandments, right? And we kind of are familiar with the Ten Commandments. They're ten things that God gave to Moses as the sort of the foundation, the, the centerpiece of the law that, that he was calling his people to live. But the problem is the, the religious leaders had taken that law 
and turned it into a checklist, and Karen talked about this last week, a checklist of unattainable moral behaviors. And it almost became a percentage game with them to where it's like, well, I'm keeping a pretty good percentage here. You know, it's kind of like today um, is a big day uh, because my Blue Devils are going to beat the Tar Heels in the ACC championship. <laughs> and I'm really hoping that they will shoot a high percentage in the game. I, 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 I never hope for 100%. That's unrealistic. But, man, if they're shooting 40 50 60% from the field, Maybe 40 is a little low. But if they're shooting up, up in there, I'm feeling pretty good about my chances. Well, that's what the, the religious leaders began to do with this law. You know, we're, shoot, we're shooting 60 70%. You know, that's good. Now, now, all you guys down here, give it up, right? But us religious folks, we got it going pretty good. We're pre- shooting a pretty good percentage. And so they began to really manipulate the law when, in essence, when you think about the Ten Commandments, What do the Ten Commandments imply from the very beginning? The Ten Commandments imply a relationship with a people. You don't give a law to understand who you are. You don't give a list of ten things to understand who you are to someone that you don't have a relationship with. And God was saying, here's my law. Here's, here's the, the ten things that are going to show you so much about who I am. Because I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. It wasn't just, here's these ten things, let's get them right. Or just do your best. Get seven out of ten. You know, good job. That's enough. As long as you're over 50%, we're good. You know, that, that, that's how we think though. But here's, here's what Jesus was beginning to say. And, and we're only, like I said, we're, it's, I guess it's not even a whole sentence. But in verse 21 of chapter 5, he begins this way. You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. Here, here's what he's saying. You have heard it through the grapevine. You have heard it passed down through not just the room, through the years, through the generations. You've heard that it was said. And then in every section that we're going to look at, there's a but. You have heard that it was said, but... Now we could say, you have heard that it was said, I heard something about God. But... It actually was the violet duck sits with the disheartened. You've heard that it was said, but, 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 but you misunderstood. And so Jesus is going to begin to expose something about the religious leaders. But guys, I, gosh, I hate to bring you this this morning. He's going to expose something about us. It's not just them. It's us. It's all of us. And that's why when we say, who crucified Jesus Christ, it was all of us. Because when he's teaching this to them, guess what? He's teaching it to us. Because we, though we talk like we don't want to be, we kind of like to be religious. 
Because that's something we can think we can control. And Jesus is about to just bust that wide open. So he says, you've heard that it was said. And he's going to start each section that we're looking at through this series that way. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said. Verse 31, it has been said. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said. Verse 38, you've heard that it was said. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. But, now I want to contrast that with something that happened earlier in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 4. So if you want, if you have, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, I'll just, I'll just read it to you real quick. I don't think I told the guys to put it on the screen, so it won't be up there, and that's my fault. Um, but, but uh, Matthew chapter four, and we're going to start in verse one. This is Jesus right before he was about to sort of launch his public ministry, where he was going to go out and begin to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. And so it says in verse one. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Quick side note, does the Spirit of God uh, allow uh, us to be tested, to be refined, to be made more like Christ? Yeah, He does, because if He did it to Jesus, guess what? It's coming for us too. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. I can imagine. I haven't eaten since breakfast, and I'm already hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, You have heard that it was said. No, that's not what he said. Jesus answered, It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, up, lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, hold on, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He knew that Satan was manipulating the word of God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give to you, he said, and if you will bow to me and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. What do we notice very different about how Jesus is introducing each point in that text? He's not saying, he's not saying you have heard that it was said. He's saying it is written. Now, what Satan was doing there when he said, well, it's written such and such and such, he was doing like the religious folks. He was taking God's word and twisting it around, but Jesus called him on it. He said, well, it's also written this. And so here's the difference. The difference becomes, what have you heard about God? And what do we know about God from what has been written? This contrast shows that there's something here that Jesus wants us to see. 
what is it that he wants us to see? Well, the religious leaders, as we said earlier, the religious leaders have reduced the law to a checklist of moral behaviors that had to be adhered to. And, and last week, Karen introduced that concept to us in, in her message. For those of you that weren't here, I'll give you a quick recap. The, the point, the, the recap of all of it is this, and the way the fig comes into place, because I know you're wondering why we're calling that the, the fig no more. Well, the Sabbath regulations that the religious leaders had interpreted were such that they believed that you should not work on the Sabbath, which is something that, you know, certainly from Scripture we see that you should keep the Sabbath uh, holy, set apart. We understand that. They understood that. But the religious leaders took it to another place. And they said that you could not do any type of physical work on the Sabbath. And they decided that physical work meant carrying anything, carrying anything that weighed any more than a, the, the, the weight or the size of a dried up fig. And so all week, you're carrying this fig around, and then come Sabbath time, you'd have to drop it. You'd have to drop that fig and, and say, you know, I'm not going to carry that fig. And Karen explained to us that that fig represented anything that we do in order to make ourselves acceptable to God. And so we're saying, hey, I'm going to hold on to this fig because I need to show God, I need to show God how good I am. I need to show God I can keep this law. I need to show God that I can, that man, I can at least get 70% this week. I can at least get most of it right. I got to show him that. I got I to gotta hold that fig. I got to hold on tight to that fig and not let go and show him that I can do this. I got it. Because God helps those who help themselves. Right? So I got to show him that I've got strong enough shoulders. If I'll just do my part, if I'll just be strong enough, he'll look down and go, you're doing a good job. And he can worry about something else because I got this. I got my fig, right? And what we're saying, guys, is Jesus is going to begin to call us to fig no more. It's time, it's time to let that go. It's time, it's time, it's time to drop it for good. And realize that we can't carry, carry it in an acceptable way at all. At all. Our shoulders, shoulders aren't strong enough. It's heavy, it's heavy. This message is missing. Jesus, Jesus wanted, wanted, here's the, here's the, here's the catch. You can't talk about this last week too. This, this law is ten commandments, this, this ritual law, this, this ceremony, this, these festivals. All of it, all of it was there to illuminate our need for Jesus. It wasn't there, it was not there to illuminate our abilities to follow it. It was all there to illuminate our need for someone desperately to save us and rescue us because we can't do this thing on our own. That's why the law is there. 
That is what it's there for. It's not intended for us to try to carry it around as a burden. It's intended for us to go, oh my goodness, this is too hard. And when we get to that point, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit and Jesus and everything that He did for us, we we begin to understand that He did it because we couldn't do it. Because if we could, what's the point of the Son of God giving His life? That's absurd. And that would mean our God is insane to kill His Son for a people that didn't need it. Give me a break. Right? We can't do this. I've tried, guys. I've tried. I can't. I'm frail. I'm fragile. I'm broken. I've got to have him as the anchor, not just, not just my co-pilot, <laughs> so to speak. I've got to have him as my anchor, as the central figure of my life, just as he is the central figure of history. We can't do it. And for those of us that might say, well, you know what, I'm not 100% sure what all these, those Ten Commandments say, but hold on, just, just chill for a second. I'm okay. I mean, I never killed anybody. never cheated on my wife. I never ran out on my family. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty decent dude, pretty decent lady. I, you know, give me a break, man. Get off my back. And I think it's interesting, and, and, and George is going to jump into this a lot more next week, but I do think it's interesting that Jesus chose, uh, of all the Ten Commandments for him to sort of kind of deal with in this, in this sermon, he chose the one that we probably look at as sort of the biggie. One of the, you know, it's really one of the real biggies. Okay? And he's going to begin to say, oh, you hadn't killed anybody? You haven't murdered anyone? Okay, well, that's cool, and that's good. Don't, don't do that. Um, have you ever harbored hate for somebody in, in your heart? Oh, you have. Um, well, we're spiritual. We're talking about spiritual things now, and we're looking at motives. So if, if you've harbored hate in your heart, yeah, in God's eyes, you've killed them. So sorry, <laughs> that one doesn't fly. And we won't take time to go down the list, but I think you get my point. And here's the thing. He's not shedding light on that to condemn us. He's not shedding light on that to go, see, I told you you're screwed up. I hope you figure your way. I hope you, I hope you figure a way to deal with that. No, no. He's saying, let me shed light on this because guess what? You need me and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to come and deal with it. I love you so much just the way you are, but guess what? I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you the way you are. I love you so much, if you never change, I'll still love you. But I love you so much, I, I, can't, I can't not let you change. I can't not let my spirit begin to work in your life. That's what he's beginning to do. And I think it's interesting that he started right there with that, with that commandment of the one that we go, I mean, think about it. We think about, I mean, how many times have we heard this? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I never killed anybody. Yeah, we all have. We all have. 
And Jesus is saying, just quit the game. Just, just stop. I'm going to break down this game. Drop the fig. Fig no more. Let it go. And let's deal with who I am instead of trying to deal with who you think you can be. So what we're hoping to do over the next few weeks is some fig picking. I want to pick these figs and give them, just give them away. Just, just get them out of here. And, and we're going to look at, in verse 21 through 26, we're going to look at hatred. In verses 27 through 30, we're going to look at lust. In verses 31 through 37, we're going to look at commitment. And that's a, a big text even on divorce there. Uh, we're going to look at uh, revenge in verses 38 through 42. We're going to look, for, look at love for enemies in 43 through 48. And what we want to do over the next few weeks is to take a look at these figs that are in our lives, these things that we're holding to. But don't misunderstand and miss the point the way Jesus' listeners did, okay? Here's what they did. They would look at this, they would look at this and go, oh man, we already had the Ten Commandments and He just added to them. I can't even do all those. Thought I was fine because I never killed anybody. And now you're telling me I can't hate anybody? I really can't stand that guy that works with me. I mean, I want to kill him, but I said, come on. They look at it as more to do. Jesus is look at it, looking at it as who to become. And we can only become if we give over all of these things to Him. This isn't a self-help rules to live by, how to make better choices and try harder kind of thing. This isn't a list of, hey, here's a good thing to try. Give this a try. Go out and try this out. Go out and do this. Go out and try harder. Strive harder. You know, grit your teeth and grin and bear it. No, this is a giving up, realizing my need for Jesus, letting go, allowing and relying, expecting the Holy Spirit to begin changing me from the inside out kind of thing. This is a stop striving and trying and start allowing who you are to begin to be surrendered and given over and allowing Him to be in you and live out your life through you. It's a be thing. It's not a do thing. So will you give some thought to the big question over these next few weeks? Will I peel away my preconceived notions and assumptions and simply listen to what Jesus has to say. Will you, will you peel away the, well, but we got to do this? Or, well, but such and such said, or when I was here, they said this, or, man, God must be like this. No, 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 I want you to peel all that away and just say, who does Jesus say he is and what does he do? Bottom line. Because at Renovation, we're not concerned with how things have always been done. And we're not concerned with what such and such said about this or that. What we're concerned about is what the Bible says. And we're concerned with what Jesus did. Period. And we can find the, the greatest illustration of a life surrendered to the call of God. We, we find it at this table. This isn't a renovation table. This is, this is the table 
that God has gifted to the church, the whole church, the big C church. And at this table, we, we, begin, we begin to see, we begin to see who He is and the great lengths that He went to save and rescue a people who were burdened by the law. A law they couldn't keep. And that law pointed them right to this table. Some of you this morning have been running this race and it's time to let go. It's time, it's time to just stop. It's time to say, hey, guess what? I can't do it. Because God helps those who can't help themselves which is every one of us. And so as you come to this table, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about where you stand in your life right now. Not the do's and the don'ts, but where do you stand in surrendering these figs, in, in understanding who he says he is. And maybe some of you this week need to just open, open this. If you don't have a Bible, we have them up here. Maybe some of you need to open this and go, I'm going to dig into this and, and see who he is. It's rich with who he is and what he did. It's a great place to start. Some of you need to say, I want to give my life to, to Jesus Christ. I've never done that. I want to do that. This table is a great place for that to begin.